0: Hello and welcome back to the 12th episode of this season for Sabbath School at Home. Uh, very glad you've decided to join the discussion. My name's Cameron.
1: And I'm Lachlan, and uh, this episode we're struggling under the difficulties of scheduling that arise at, at busy times of the year. Um, and so tonight it's just the two of us, and Cam, we're we're in for a quick turnaround on the edit this time.
0: Yeah, we are. And... Um... Maybe that will provide extra encouragement to exercise some degree of brevity and um, precision in what we say. Uh, the topic, though, um, lends itself perhaps to a less brief discussion. Uh, it's a, a further continuation of The Mark of the Beast. And uh, I've been thinking this week, Locke, and I, I thought of some directions that it would be interesting to move in. And uh, I hope fruitful. Uh like I've been thinking about putting marks on things. Uh, yeah, It's very topical because I've, I've just been putting marks on tests. <laughs> and it...
1: Yes, I have some of that activity happening in my life too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, students, for some reason, care a lot about how well they do on a test after they've done it. And they always want the marks back very quickly. Mm. Um, and I point out to them that the appropriate time to exercise some level of interest in the whole process is before the test so that you can study.
1: <laughs> indeed.
0: And I suggest to them that, you know, how quickly things are marked should be directly proportional to how much study students have done. Um, they don't usually welcome this idea. Uh, it's interesting, though, that we use the verb to mark mm. in that context. Mm. Very literally, you are scribbling all over someone else's work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, what other what other ways can you mark something? Um I mean, I guess uh, all you would use the word uh, to describe all sorts of accidental occurrences. Oh, no, the, the trolley bumped into the car. Look, it's left a mark.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you're looking to buy a car, you're looking to buy something without a mark on it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, there's another context, though, in which you might mark something. Um, you know, when Dad goes and chins pianos and he sometimes opens the lid or pokes around a bit and he says, ah. Oh. It's a Ronish, or it's a shvechten, or it's a... Uh, and he opens the lid and looks, looks for the maker's mark. Mm. Or if you're buying a violin, you you peer through the F-holes. This thing's got a great tone. What is it? And you look through and you, and then, you and then you find the maker's mark on the inside. Yeah. And that mark is not a statement of continued ownership over that instrument.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right.
0: It's just a mark of, you know, it's a statement of origin.
1: Mm-hmm hmm yeah,
0: but then sometimes we mark things and we don't mark them. The mark that we give them doesn't refer to origin but re- refers to you know purpose or, or future use. We mark uh, a detour route yep
1: yeah. yep yeah. Uh, yeah, marking a map. Um, I was hiking yeah. with some pathfinders uh, on the weekend, and every day we had to mark up the maps with our with our checkpoints, our waypoints, grid coordinates for the day.
0: Mm you know and, and then there are there's the, for instance graffiti ah
1: yeah
0: leaving leaving you know people leaving their mark but of course against that you've got you know interesting phenomena like Banksy the graffiti artist who's you know when he puts a picture on a wall the wall is immediately carefully disassembled and sent off to some museum which he hates because <laughs> he doesn't believe art should be in a museum yeah um, yeah in a museum and you know it becomes the latest greatest thing to have if you're lucky enough to have a Banksy artwork painted on the side of your house mm, mm. Uh, so it seems to me that the, the concept of, of mark has lots of different connotations what in, in that sort of landscape what, what's the connotations of the mark of the beast in Revelation
1: yeah that's a good one um, so there's one sense that I think is valuable That there are, it's very common to wear clothing with a mark on it Often it'll be a brand identity, and sometimes it could be a sporting team identity. Sometimes it could be, um, you know, just a just a sporting brand, perhaps. But the mark doesn't doesn't denote ownership because although the the you know the clothing might have been made by um, you know Nike, it's it's no longer owned. The the whole point is the customer has purchased it. But there is a certain, for many people, there's a certain sense of loyalty and allegiance. You know, I'm wearing, I'm wearing this mm. so that people know that I'm a supporter of this brand or this team. And in yeah. that sense, in that sense, I think, um, you know, the the mark of the beast, if if it has some connotation of implying a a decision to be loyal to, a, a choice of allegiance to the beast, um, then then that's. That's fairly clear, fairly striking. Um, you know, in many ways, that's probably close to the way I guess I've I've typically been sort of implicitly instructed to think of the mark of the beast.
0: It's interesting, and I think you're right, Locke, That that's the context in which it sort sort of comes in, and and to preserve any sort of um, element of fair process in all of this, we maintain quite strongly that it, this word you use, choice. Mm. It's a choice people have made. That everyone will be given the chance to choose. Mm. Mm. Now, um, it seems to me that not everyone is given the same chance to choose (laughs) on, on a fair number of issues. It's hard, in fact, to imagine a world where everyone is given the same chance to choose. It would be a world so different from the one we live in. It'd be very hard to defend. Uh, us belonging to the end of times, if the end of times are, are a time where everyone is given a fair choice. So <clears throat> I'm thinking of a, of a child born to, um, you know, a sex slave. Yeah. Uh, growing up in a place without any nurture or support of any sort, actively detrimental or harmful. Um, I am thinking of, uh, you know, people born with um, various degrees of, of um, impairment in their cognitive function. Yeah. Now, I, I did a couple of days relief. Um, we had to go to a special needs school when I was doing relief teaching. It was, I think, the best prac out of all of them. It was only three days. Uh, Mel and I went to a school in uh, Newcastle where the children end up who are too far on the autism and Asperger's and um, or Down syndrome spectrums to fit into a school. So a lot of these kids were 13 or 14 and couldn't speak mm. There was a lot of signing gestures do you want to go to the toilet you'd ask them the words and they wouldn't respond and you'd do a T with your hand and they'd nod their head mm. um there was um you know these, these kids were it, it was hard to imagine what their life was like mm. it was hard at times to see the points of resonance for the parents of these kids th- this school was a lifeline and the teachers at the school laughed. They, you know, inspectors had to go around and visit schools to, to see if the schools are, for instance, improving on NAPLAN scores or, <laughs> or whatever else. And the last time the the inspectors from the education officer had visited this school, which they had to do, they had to tick it off. They had been so frightened of the kids that two adult grown men in their fifties had locked themselves in a room and left two young staff members who were in their early twenties, young women, to deal with, you know. A boy, a child who's going through a panic slash rage attack. Mm. The child wasn't able to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there was, okay, <clears throat> what does it mean for that person to have a choice? But there's, of course, um, mental impairments that are not from birth. What about someone who, because of past choices, mm. um, is an alcoholic? Yeah. And... Um, maybe for decades, has resisted and really tried to resist alcoholism and has lacked the support and the resources and maybe the genes mm. to make that struggle a success and has tried very hard but, but lacks, you know, the brain's been pickled.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting your point very strongly and I'm thinking of, you know, what about scenarios where, <clears throat> to some extent, an individual's choice has been made for them um, you know, I, I'm thinking of things quite differently. What about uh, this? This is one that always leaves me feeling vaguely uncomfortable. Uh, child actors. You know, I'm thinking uh, the classic film Home Alone. Yeah. I love it. It's fun. Yeah. But there's yeah. an actor in that who's really the centre of the film who is just a kid. Um, yeah. How can that person have really been considered to have made a an effective autonomous um, sort of decision of consent to be an actor in a film um surely Certainly
0: not an informed decision of consent
1: yeah because, surely know, what's it, happened what, what sort of in, it, yeah. is is parents have been involved in making that decision and yeah that's an old fashioned example these days there's any number of child stars on youtube channels promoting toys yeah. here and there and you know some of the more well known ones of them have actually now got full on toy brands named in their yeah. identity I just wonder to myself. It, uh, it's great if it, if they love it, good. But I do wonder to myself: these are children; they will grow up to be adults. When they are adults, if they reflect on this and somehow wish that they hadn't done it, they can't undo it. It's it's been done, um, you know. So that uh, almost a trivial example in some ways, although I think it has a serious side. But but so many things, individuals get. Choices made for them.
0: Yeah, and it's if if the choice of something like career can be made, and you know, I think of Andre Agassi, who as a two-year-old was given a tennis racket and was told that he could hit anything in the house. Yeah, as long as it was with the tennis racket, because he was going to be a he was going to be a professional tennis player. That's what his dad wanted. Yeah, (laughs) and it caused him significant problems. You know, how much more significant are the moral choices, the moral paradigm that we live in? Mm which is decided for us by the people around us. So for instance, if you are taught at a young age that um, if your early life experience, when you are at the formative years where you are discovering how the world works, you know, kids are not taught to speak. They just notice the world around them and copying it Mm. until they get the response they like. And if a child is taught that throwing a tantrum works Mm. because in the home they grow up in, it does. If a child is taught that the um, it's only bad if you get caught,
1: yeah, yeah, and
0: they learn it from observation from a young age with with their parents. If a a child is taught that violence towards women is okay because they see it in their home, or perhaps taught Um,
1: that stealing is all right because other people are much more wealthy than we are,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So if that's if that is a paradigm, you know, it must have some effect, yeah, on. I mean it'd be hard to argue that they that that God shields all children in these circumstances from the from the harmful situation in which they live coupled uh, balance against that like we this is a very snobbish superior way of talking it talking about it and it would be totally appropriate for us to point out um, the other side what about the kids who live in comfortable homes who are taught that life is easy mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about the troubles of this world because they're someone else's troubles yep. what about the kids who are who are taught that they are entitled to things mm. Mm. because, you know, you expect good things. What about the kids who, who, you know, we talk a lot about the kids who are disempowered in society, um, who, through their circumstances, you know, uh, the misfits, mm. the, the, the people who move into crime and, mm. you know, the people who are anti-society. What about the people who run society? What about the people who end up in positions of power in business and in politics and in perhaps even church or, you know, the people who float to the top because from an early age they were told to be confident. Yeah. When you're confident, you win friends and that your opinion really matters. Mm. You know, half the world doesn't have a voice and the other half of the world thinks that their voice is much more important than it is. Yes. And And that has as many moral implications as a child growing up in a violent home. Yeah. To believe that your opinion is... (laughs) something that everyone ought to live, listen to
1: so I, I think we could perhaps go on and on the the point is being very robustly made that the the ability to choose is substantially impacted and, and there are many things that where choices are made or the landscape of, of perceived available choices is different what I'm what I'm hearing you ponder or pose is the question are there people for whom the mark of the beast, In their lives is more like graffiti. It's an essentially unwanted mark that's been left there by others.
0: Well, I think it's a very good point, Locke. There is a sense in which all marks of the beast are graffiti. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, you know, this is not the way the world. This is not what God considers an ideal world. That's that's pretty clear in Scripture. Mm. Um, That people were made to be in, in a community. With him and with each other, and to belong to each other in an affirming, peaceful mm. society. Um, and in that sense, you know, any mark of the beast is a mark that doesn't belong. Yeah. In that sense, but but then you know there is there are some people who perhaps are more active participants in in painting marks on themselves than others. So I think that you know the idea of you know some people it is especially like graffiti. Mm. Um, something imposed on them.
1: See this. This all makes me think of a, of a reframing of the the mark of the beast, the seal of God, the followers of the beast, or versus the the saints. Um, the the you know Revelation Revelation speaks in these contrasts that are very clear and very stark. And one of the thoughts that I've had for a long time is that I, I suspect there may be more value in. Trying to reflect on what ways am I saintly? What ways am I beast-like? Um, in other words, yeah. acknowledge that I'm that I'm partly graffitied, <laughs> or indeed um, partly flawed in my own decision making, and and use these contrasts to to as catalysts to to consider, to reflect, to engage actively in in sort of orchestrating the kind of person i want to be the kind of future that i want to achieve in the world um rather than the much more uh, i'll say the more traditional approach which is to use these dichotomies as ways to categorize groups of people uh the you know these groups of people are the saints these groups of people are the the followers of the beast
0: yeah yeah i like that lock because you know what we've been saying up till now about all this um, choices or the circumstances we live in precluding our ability to choose, you know, is sort of leading in the direction of, well, maybe maybe we have no choice in anything. Maybe we're just, mm. here we are. But what you're saying is, no, it's exact, exactly the opposite. When you say there are many circumstances where there are things imposed on us, mm. there are some ways in which we are beastly that wasn't out, out doing and out, our choice. Um, there are some choices we've made that mark us with the beast. There are some choices we make that place God's seal on us, that, that mm. s- suggest we are, have allegiance to God. There may be some accidental things. Some of us who grew up in very positive circumstances might by accident have obtained character traits that, that were godly. So, you know, there's a spectrum there. But what you're saying is this doesn't have to lead to an idea of, ah, oh, well, it's all out of my control. It could, in fact, lead in the opposite direction. My limited, my choice for, uh, ability to choose may be limited, but I have some ability to choose, mm. and let me use that ability in this moment to try and reject what I see in my life as beastly, and to try and seek out and discover what could be in my life that's good.
1: Mm. Are there I any? Think,
0: I think the the free choice debate is is a particularly unproductive, Locke, because everyone jumps to the extremes. Mm. The people who argue for free choice argue for a sort of free choice that I don't believe in. Um, and the people who, who dispute free choice uh, promote a determinism that I don't believe in. You don't have to have very much free choice for there to be free choice. Yes. And if you think of it tempor- temporarily in time, out of the whole span of our life, the only time I can exercise free choice is right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and those little things I do right now are going to have massive impacts into the future and and be influenced by things in the past it's true but there there is in that little moment a chance to make Mm. a small choice about how i spend spend this moment in time
1: Mm. so this has got me musing. are there i mean in a a sense everyone are, are there is there a character in the bible that we could identify um that sort of exhibits this this what we are observing is more or less an empirical observation just from lived experience, that, that people are, individuals are capable of being simultaneously um, saintly and aligned with God, and yet also beastly and marked by Satan.
0: Uh, there's uh, David in the Old Testament, which mm. would be interesting. There's, there's whole podcasts in it. I think we have talked in the past. I remember it was some time ago, but I remember talking about David and Bathsheba and David's sons and mm. how it plays out, his life sort of plays out in their, in their life. Yeah. Um, there was another passage, Locke, that I thought of leading up to this, uh, which was in Matthew 16, and it's a little more concise, so let's turn to that one. Okay. Um, I'm going to read to you uh, two statements that I will juxtapose with each, next to each other. Um, this is a slight summary of these passages. We'll read the passages in full also. But let me just start with these two passages. Uh, Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter. He says this to his apostle, Peter, who was son. You are Peter, and on the, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What an endorsement. Mm. Okay. Uh, the very next paragraph, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. <laughs>
1: right. Right. Well, that yeah, that's that is indeed. That's perfect. That that language is about as stark as the language we find in the Book of Revelation. <laughs>
0: it, it pretty much is. Let's let's read the context and find why why Peter is is praised as being the rock of the church and why he's denounced as being as being Satan. Mm. Is what it says. Uh, do you want to pick it up uh, from verse thirteen of Matthew sixteen? Look?
1: All right. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven."
0: Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside. I love love that picture of Peter (laughs) presuming the right to take Christ aside, gently remonstrate with him. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man.
1: Right. I mean, I can't help thinking that at least part of the reason for Peter taking this position of, of mentorship and, of men- and responsibility is precisely because of what Jesus has just told him. <laughs>
0: the... Yeah, Yeah. well, that's right. You know, what, whatever you say on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever you loose on mm. earth will be loosed in heaven. Mm. Um, it's a very ringing endorsement. But then the takedown after this is very biting. You are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, how much time has elapsed yeah. between these two things? It's not very much. The verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Um, it, it suggests a little interlude of time. Um Mm. Jesus starts to say these things, and then in verse twenty-two, but Peter took him aside and began to to reprimand Mm. him. Um, So it's it's not a great passage of time. And the the other thing to observe here that is that this is not part of some broader character arc. You know, some of the Old Testament kings do experience a character arc of of being good for a time and becoming evil kings. And there's a sort of and then you Mm. juxtaposing them being endorsed by God through to them being essentially decried as satanic would not be too surprising if that was the broader character arc but here this is this is not part of a systematic character arc of the uh, of the apostle peter um no. he, he has his ups and downs but even past the resurrection and into the book of acts peter is 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 learning through these processes and and his broad arc is one of developing understanding of of God and of his um, role in the mission of God,
0: mm, developing a sense of humility too. You think of you compare this Peter gently taking Christ aside, whom he thinks is the Messiah, mm. and tell, giving him advice. Compare that with the Peter that we've talked about often going to visit Cornelius and actually staying and eating mm, with mm. a Gentile, um, <clears throat> and gradually sort of unlearning so much prejudice that that it, that he'd it learned. Yeah. Uh, So it is a fascinating picture. Uh, It makes you wonder, in what sense do people bear the mark of the beast? Because we, as an Adventist church, maintain that institutions can bear the mark of the beast because Mm. we identify the papacy. When I say we, I don't think you do, Locke. Uh, I uh,
1: I find it not a particularly compelling idea um, as I I look at the world, um, but...
0: There's a quaint arrogance in this. Look, we say, um, we say. Can I just say a few things? That these have occurred in conversations with with friends recently. Um, we say, um, isn't it awful that the Catholic Church appoints a man, hmm. a, a mere man, to be the ultimate voice of God, putting a man in the place of God? Isn't that so presumptuous? <laughs> and we turn around and say, why should I listen to this man? that's been put there i know what's better than he i i know i've i've, I've read it Yeah. i've looked at it myself <laughs> i've got the i've got the hidden truth why do i need to listen to you mm. now <clears throat> even if you do have the hidden truth it's a very presumptuous attitude um uh you know there's there's a slight sort of sense of hypocrisy about that
1: yeah
0: um you know if the pope is just a man <laughs> then so are you
1: mm mm
0: um So is every Adventist minister? So is yeah. Um, So 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 is the GC full of men? Um, And I mean that both in the sense of mankind and uh, uh, gender. But uh, so you know, there's that sort of element. Um, The the other element is in practice, does the Catholic Church place the Pope in the venerated position of bearing the unquestionable and you know incontrovertible truth directly from God. Has there ever been a Pope that has not been subject to factions and disagreements mm. and disputes within the church and fierce debates? And, you know, it seems to me mm. that just empirically, Catholics are as good at questioning the Pope as Adventists are at questioning the GC.
1: Yes. Yeah, I was going to make a comment along the lines that, that there are parallels to be made if we're going to speak organizations rather than people and individuals, there are, there are similarities that could be identified between the Catholic Church as an organization and some, some of our administrative structures within the Adventist Church. Mm. But that's precise. So, so that's, I'm, I'm saying that slightly provocatively. It is precisely the point that I think we're exploring. Um, yeah. The whole focus, I think, of the stark dichotomy that's presented in revelation between good and evil between god and the beast between saints and the the um people of babylon the the utility of the stark divide is as a call to action it's it's to to provide a framework in which as you have just said decisions in the moment in the now can be informed um i i don't think that it is most useful to picture it as being descriptive of a reality where everyone is starkly divided because as i look at the world it's just not that clear cut um you yeah. know the there and that's exactly what we're exploring here exactly and so i i find your 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 drawing our attention to the story of peter here is is excellent because it precisely puts its finger on exactly what i am a, i'm claiming is lived experience the very person yeah. who in one context, is just really gifted at revealing a, a clear insight um, about about God and 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 all that is good and wonderful. Might in a slightly different context have an enormous amount left to learn, and actually might might be potentially detrimental and harmful. And and that <clears throat> that individual yeah. could be me. And if it is yeah. me, what am I doing to help? Um, focus my energies, focus my attentions, what am I doing to help guide my choices? Well, the very best way to do that is to, at times, contemplate the starkest extremes. Very few people live on those extremes, but they're helpful to frame the frame the ideas.
0: Yeah, it is. I, there's an example. This may be a bit niche and technical. A lot. Um, if it is, we'll cut it from the edit. Um, but listeners, go with me because the details are not important here. But I was recently teaching a physics class, and I'm bringing this example up because I know you'll like it. Like, and introducing this concept of momentum. And the trouble when things bump into each other is that it's very hard to study energy. If you take, if you take a rubber ball and drop it, it hits the ground, then it comes back up. Hmm. So it's, it's moving fast, and after the collision, it's still moving fast. It's going the other direction, but it's still got energy. It's still moving. If you take a lump of play doh you drop it at the floor and it weighs the same you drop it from the same height it's got the same amount of energy when it hits and it doesn't bounce up in fact it doesn't even move at all it just sits there mm. um, where, where did all that energy go well it went into heat or it went into sound and it went into it just went into other things it's not movement anymore and it turns out in this context momentum is a more useful idea than energy but I defined for these students these, these two possibilities. I said sometimes when things bump into each other, it's an elastic collision, like rubber. They, they bounce off each other and all the energy is still there as movement. Mm. And I, sometimes, I said it's an inelastic collision. Maybe sometimes when things hit, they smoosh together and energy is being used up. There is <coughs> nothing in the real world which is actually a purely elastic collision. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's nothing in the world that bumps into another thing in the world and still keeps all energy in the system. Some energy is lost in heat or light or whatever. You know, this elastic collision idea is, is a useful pedagogical idea. It doesn't actually exist. And perfectly inelastic collisions, I guess you might find something that's a bit closer to perfectly inelastic collisions. Um, but you know, you throw two balls of Play-Doh against each other, the chance that they stop mm. exactly and fall you know there's going to, they're going to twist they're going to roll they're going to be, you know smoosh off sideways if they don't hit head on or whatever you know this idea of presenting these two possibilities to my students neither of them actually exists the sorts of mm. collisions i was telling them but they are the perfect thing to present to them to explain the yeah. the spectrum the difference you know there's no no such thing as a perfectly elastic collision but it's very easy to say mm. that collision was more elastic than that one
1: yeah. Now, as you as you describe it, that's a that's a good example. As you're describing it, it's making me think of something. Um, in the time of Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes to some lengths to explain that you know the the statement "Don't murder" was actually a call, uh, not not to categorize people into those who have killed someone and those who have not. It was actually a call to pursue the opposite of murderous thinking. And so I'm wondering whether the mark of the beast as described in Revelation might be most helpfully understood in exactly the same way. If Jesus was here to give another sermon on a different mount, might he not say, you've heard it said, that the beast, beastly marks involve worshipping me on the wrong day. But, but I say unto you that if you, if you are failing in any way, to live the richness of the mission of Sabbath then you are succumbing in some sense to hmm. to to graffiti of the beast and to which hmm. we, to which we say but but Jesus that's an impossible standard how can you possibly say that but but isn't that also true no. of what he says about murdering because he says anytime you're angry with someone you've 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 committed yeah. murder really on the books you know in the in the heavenly accounting yeah. and and then everyone says but but what do you mean we're humans um and I think that's the point. It's not about reaching a state at which you can say, "Well, that's it. I'm I'm in this category now." It's about yeah. having that clearly defined um, kind of stark statement as a as a way to help guide the continual process of decision making.
0: Yeah, I really like that. Um, I really like that that um taking Jesus took the commandments and turned them inwards mm. and your comment on murderers reminds me when Christ was hung on a cross between two murderers, and we 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 talk a lot about Christ's innocence. The people he was crucified with were as guilty and deserving, under the law of the day, of their punishment as Christ was innocent. Mm. They they had actually done it. They hadn't just been angry with someone. They mm. yeah they killed someone. Um, killed people. Um. So Christ looks at them and looks at one of them and says, hey, today I'll see you in my kingdom. Mm. And it seems to me that any contemplation of the mark of the beast in Revelation has to be made in the context of a God who looks at a murderer and says, welcome to my kingdom.
1: Yeah, that's challenging, isn't it? I think that's a really good challenge for us to leave with the audience as we we wrap it up here.
0: Mm. Uh, Thank you for listening and um, feel free to pass this podcast on to any of your friends or indeed any of your enemies and uh, please join us again next week. We should have a few more of us on board next week and uh, I better finish soon because we're coming very close to the length of normal episodes that we normally do. We've failed once again in our our mission of brevity but um, hopefully this discussion has been a blessing for you as it has uh, for me.